we got another MCB roundtable. This is MCB roundtable two, as I let the guys pretty much talk about the beginning of the season, if the season's even going to happen. June 28th, as I record this, we recorded it back a couple days ago, and there's still no signs of slowing it down. So that being said, I the guys come in, chime in, let us know what they thought was going to happen, give us some questions, and let them have the mic. These guys, Jake, both Johns, and then join us was Marty Tolman, who is our fantasy expert. They've done some really good work the last couple months. I'm proud of these guys, and they deserve a lot of mic time. So without further ado, until we get this whole MCB podcast feed, sit back, relax, enjoy a different perspective from the staff over at MCB. Welcome to the Motor City Bengals roundtable discussion here on you can sit on the fan side network. Since we still technically don't have a podcast going yet, we're going to continue to use the Tigers SRD feed. So if you're listening, if you're looking for another episode, great. Thanks for checking out the stuff with Trevor Huth and myself, Chris Brown, and the latest special with Dan Hasty. But I bring in my fine colleagues over here at Motor City Bengals and just dis- discussing the return of baseball. There is much to discuss. And you talk about, like, Marty was just on a fantasy baseball seg- podcast this week. And how'd that go, Marty? All went really well. I was on the, uh, the Cheap Seats podcast um, uh, with Joel, so primarily going through um, shortstop ranks, my 1 through 12. Um, spoiler alert, um, you know, Nico Goodrum was nowhere near it. But <laughs> uh, also touched on uh, CJ Crone, who's going to be um, – he's kind of my uh, flyer flag guy. I think he's going to be great. But, uh, yeah, man, it's I'm just really excited that baseball's finally back. Yeah, and there's there's a lot to get to with that. There's a lot of stuff breaking down with that too because it's just baseball's back, but we're kind of like, eh, you know. So, but we'll get to it. So, the one thing I wanted to ask is there's there's six questions involving there's I uh, pulled some questions from the athletic and kind of tigerized them a little bit, and just want to ask my 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 steam colleagues here what is going on and what they think of it. So, the first question is, and it, it involves with kind of the return of baseball, but the executives, the owners going back and forth between the players. Um, I'll start with Jake. What is the, the, the biggest fear among executives? I mean, if you're an executive, if you're an owner of the team right now, what are you thinking right now is going to happen? What is your biggest fear? Well, my biggest fear would be a potential second wave of this thing. I mean, if we have a bunch of players start to come down with symptoms or test positive, it becomes an issue. And I know we're starting off with these taxi squads and we're going to have 60 man rosters and stuff like that. But we're, we're getting to the point where we've already had some major league players test positive. So it's like, you know, there's going to come a point where we have to contemplate another shutdown. It's just kind of what it is. Um, so do we shut this, the season down? What costs am I going to incur by doing so? Um, but yeah, that second wave, that, that would be the, the, the thing that kind of spooked me the most thousand exec. You know, I'll go with John. Um, I'll go with John. I know there's two Johns in the room, but I always refer to our second John as Duper. So, John, you're, you're saying that your girlfriend's a doctor, so you, you kind of have a – this kind of hits home a little bit. So you have a firsthand kind of a, a closer look at this a little bit with the virus. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's scary. That's for sure. Um, I read on the news that 
what one Tigers player? They haven't announced who yet. Correct. Has and, it and a staff and member, one coach or staff? Yeah, something like they didn't one say. Staff. Yeah, they didn't say who, who, like coach or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, they said it was non-baseball. Or, you know, nothing to really do with probably like in the office or someone distant. You know, no one, no direct coach or anything like that. Oh, well, that's good. But with how much this can spread, I think that's like Jay said. That's got to be the biggest fear because if one person gets it and it spreads all the way through and then you have to contemplate do we shut down and how fast do we shut down and the, i think the faster they shut down the more goodwill they get for the next uh bargaining agreement so you want to keep everybody healthy and safe and you don't want to upset everybody you make them mad and everybody goes on strike in two years that's not going to be a good time either what about you uber you know it comes down to me i i hate to be all kind of modeling about it but if they have a coach die from this i mean that's that's the worst case scenario i mean some older coach who's not in great shape can you, it'll be a daily update on sports center of how this coach is doing you know and that's got to be something they lie awake at night and think about or you just think about getting all these guys on an airplane in a close confined area you can see how a roster could get decimated in, in a matter of a couple of days, uh, you know, what's the plan going to be for that? Uh, you know, at least in the NBA, they're not traveling. They're not going to be on NBA. They're not going to be on planes, but uh, it just seems to me an airplane is almost like an incubator, <laughs> you know, to, to, to pass that stuff around. So it's going to be a wild few weeks, but you know, and then this, the flip side is the KBO over in Korea, they're still going strong. I mean, they haven't shut her down. So it's doable. It's, it's just going to be uh Something we've never seen before is we something to watch. How about you, Marty? Yeah, and kind of just piggybacking off that. I mean, our own coach, I mean, Garden Hire, he himself had prostate cancer, you know? So, I mean, he's extremely high risk. Uh, I think we were speaking earlier off air about Matthew Boyd. He said he has, you know, severe asthma. So, just right there, we have two uh, potential people that could be really, I mean, everyone's going to be affected, but I mean, we're talking about possibly direly affected here pretty quickly. Um, from an executive standpoint, I think their biggest thing was saving money. So, you know, that's, that's what they're worried about. They, I don't think they have really any COVID-19 concerns. I think for them, it's just going to be try to make as much money as they possibly can. They're going to be in their ivory towers. They're going to be staying away from this thing. It's going to be on the players and the coaches. And so from a fan's perspective, you know, I, obviously I want baseball back just as much as anyone else, but it, it's scary, you know? And I, I will say that if you're the Texas Rangers, you want to figure out a way to make your new stadium go away off the public image because, my God, I mean, if you're an executive, if you own the Rangers, what were you thinking? I mean, that stadium looks awful. Like, I just – before, I, I know – like, one of the things I saw yesterday was that <laughs> somebody took the picture made it look like a grill, and it looked like – Yeah, a, I saw that. <laughs> that's so – I don't – it was such a bad idea. Like, if you're if – you're, you know, like, imagine just going to work going – Am I working at Lumber 86? Am I, is this Menards? I mean, it's just, it looks awful. And the Rangers built that ballpark, I believe, in the original one in 93, 94. And so this was already a money grab as it stands. But if I'm an executive of the Rangers, not only I got to worry about keeping, I mean, one of the hotbeds of COVID-19, I also got a crappy looking stadium I got to look forward to. And the fans were not happy about it. So I just wanted to lighten the mood with that a little bit before we move on. The next question <laughs> is, what happens if teams run out of players? And I'll start with you, John, on this. I mean, there's the Tigers had 53. Tigers used 53 last year in 162 games, which 
comparatively speaking, the team like, for example, the Yankees. Yankees went through, I believe, the Yankees were decimated by injuries. But this, in this case, you're looking at an outfield, and I'll give you guys all this the caveat here. You're looking at an outfield that outside of your major, the ones that are sitting on the roster right now, the potential taxi ones, and Troy Strokes Jr., you're looking at Riley Green, Derek Hill, and Jose Alzacar, to name a few, do not have any major league experience. You have Jose, you know, Jorge Bonifacio, who's been here for a cup of coffee, but that's your outfield death. Go ahead and John. Well, of course, even one person getting it is too many to get it. But if we get hit hard, I think roster flexibility is going to be key. So like Travis Demerate in the minors, he played second base. So he might not be the best choice there, but if we need to move him, we can. Um, going with those outfielders, like you were talking about, I'm still really high on Derek Hill. Uh, Arizona Fall League last year, he looked really good. He learned how to take a walk, a small sample size, but he took, I think, like six or seven walks. That's pretty good for how many at-bats he had. So I think we're going to have a lot of guys coming up and down with this taxi squad. And I'm really excited to see what some of the younger guys can do. Cause well, Derek Hill, he's what 24 now. Yeah. So he's not aging out of being a prospect, but kind of getting close. And I think Troy Stokes is 24 too, as well, maybe 23. Um, but they're getting close where it's like make it or break it type season. And there, with it being a short season, this might be a, a really good chance for him. Jake, what about you? Yeah. Just to kind of piggyback off of that. I, I agree on the on the fringe guys, especially um, guys like Derek Hill, who's not very highly thought of. But think of a guy like Daz Cameron, who struggled last year, who they might try to put in or have to put into some type of outfield role um, with with no major league experience. Um, you know that that could be as damaging as it is helpful. And um, some guys drive in those kinds of scenarios and we'll never know the alternative if he does get thrown to the wolves. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a big worry for me is those guys who we still have high hopes for that um, may not necessarily be ready for the big leagues that get kind of thrown in. Marty, what about you? Well, I'm going to look at this in a little bit more of an optimistic way. Let's, you know, I mean, hopefully no one gets sick, but we got to live in the real world here. So Let's say some of our starting pitchers get sick. I mean, maybe we're calling up Matt Manning. You know, maybe we're calling up um, one of the three guys that we really want to see in Casey Mize and Drake Scooble. So it it offers an opportunity. All these guys have got to be ready to play. And so I I think at this point, I mean, no, I don't want to. I can't explain enough. I don't want anyone to get sick. But if that does happen, we're going to we're going to have to push our future a lot quicker than we thought possibly. And from a fan's perspective, it could be entertaining. So. All right. Uber, what about you? What's your, what's your final th- thoughts before we move well, on? I'll tell you what, when you list those guys who are available in the outfield, I, if I'm Andy Dirks, I'm working out somewhere. I'm getting ready. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's going to get the call. But, uh, you know, I think with the Tigers, anything can happen. Okay. In, in 60 games, a team could get on a sprint and win some games and look good, but let's face who they are. I mean, they're probably a sub 500 team. If they're getting a little low from a baseball perspective, I'm not too worried about it. Also, I think if they're getting that low on players, probably a lot of other teams are too. And baseball is going to have some more big picture decisions to make than 
small picture decisions of team by team. Uh, that's probably where we're looking uh, if we get to that point. Yeah, it's, you know, and I think the one thing that I will say about like this whole situation that's going to be interesting is that I think this will definitely clear up the Tigers roster quite a bit because I I will admit I'm not a big fan of Troy Stokes Jr. I thought he's, I mean, you, you're in the PCL in the Brewer system and you're, the PCL last year, guys, it was like a beach ball. I mean, it was just home runs galore, juice balls. Dixon Machado had 20, almost 20 home runs for Iowa last year. So you're looking at a league that you should be raking in. And for whatever reason, the Tigers decided to give him a 40-man roster. I don't know the guy personally. I just don't understand it. Maybe he'll prove me wrong, and I hope he does. But I I worry that you look at guys who might be pressing the duty too quickly, and that could also ruin a kind of a mindset sometimes because – Maybe you're not mentally ready to be there yet, and you need a couple of years of seasoning. So, for Casey Mize, you know he he shut it down last year with shoulder issues. So he came back in August; it wasn't the same. So you have to kind of factor that into consideration too. So the next one, next question is, what do you think of this extra innings rule? And I'll start with you, Marty, on this. This this is a like I we were talking to Trevor Hooth last night. And he said that after a while, because he worked, he entered into the mud hands. He said he didn't even think about it after a while. And I'll kind of come around to it a little bit. I, I don't think it's that going to be that big of a deal, but runner would start. The rule would be a runner would start on second to start the top of the tenth inning. I'm on board with it, and there's a few reasons. I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago on the CBS Sports um, Fantasy Baseball today, and one of the former executives for the uh, Florida Marlins, uh, back when they were called that. So um, the way it's going to break down, as far as for the relief pitcher. Let's say there's, you know, he starts the inning, there's a guy on second and he's hit home. It doesn't count against your ERA from everything that I understand. So that's how it was sold to the players association. So it's not going to hurt statistics, which is pretty cool. Um, the idea of having to go into extra innings, considering everything that's going on in this condensed schedule, it's the best way to go about it. Um, I'm not one of those people that really, I'm not a traditionalist. I'm not a, a boomer, if you would like to use that term. So I, I, I don't I, I feel like there is something in baseball that you can move stuff around without hurting the game too much. And I believe this is a, a really good opportunity to not have to dive too far into relief pitching. I mean, what if a game goes 19 innings? You know, that could ruin the next week, week and a half. Um, so it gives everybody an opportunity that you show up. There's somebody on already on second. If you can get a quick single and just get the game over with, and let's be honest, that's what every owner wants. You know, almost basically every player too. They just want to get through this season. So I think that uh, expedites that. What about you, Jake? Yeah. Yeah. I've come around it. Um, I'm probably a, a boomer mind in a millennial body, <laughs> so I don't really enjoy change that much. Um, I'm more of a purist, especially when it's, when it comes to baseball, but um, it'll be fine. And it's 60 games, right? That's kind of the way I look at it is like, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for them to test something different, to do something different for 60 games and basically what's a throwaway season and, uh, and see if it works. Um, personally, I would enjoy something a little more creative, I guess, to, uh, to try and, and solve games more quickly than putting an arbitrary runner on second. Um, but it is what it is. I'm, I'm not going to yell about it. I saw some people arguing that they would rather see a tie. And I, I, I think that's a little hyperbole. I don't think they actually meant that when they said it. Um, cause I don't think they actually want a tie, but, um, yeah, I'm okay with it. Don't love it, but I'm not going to scream and yell. 
All right, Uber, what about you? Well, obviously, there's no changing. It's, it's, it's going to be with us this year, and that's fine. So I've been thinking more about, you know, what are the tactics going to be? I find that more interesting than just than arguing whether it should or shouldn't exist because we're going to, we're going to do it. So, um, so what, you know, it's, it's the top of the inning and you got that runner on second, uh, you know, are you going to hit away? Are you going to bunt a guy over? And then if you bunt him over, is the defense going to walk two guys to load the bases or is that just setting up a really big inning and then you're really toast. Um, whereas in the, in the bottom half of the inning, you know, maybe you're, you're, the defense is better off to load the bases because it does the, the one the one run might be the only thing that matters anyway. Uh, so I think the from a tactical standpoint, it could be could be a nice diversion, you know, from what we normally see. Uh, I'm not uh, I'm not saying I love it and I want to see it forever, but for a, a 60 game sprint, it, it could lead to a couple of fun games. I will tell you this: uh, as an umpire on the amateur level, uh, we use those rules all the time. Uh, and I know the statistics in, in minor league baseball, they've ended games pretty quick, but just from an anecdotal perspective, I've been on the field a couple times where it's unbelievable. Both teams just keep scoring under these rules. And, you know, all of a sudden we've played three, four extra innings. No problem. That's happened to me a couple times in the last couple of years. So, um, well, it'll be very interesting to see the numbers at the end. Uh, how many of these extra inning games end faster than uh, than they do during a typical season? That should be a lot of fun. And John, what about you? Well, I'm gonna go against the grain here, Jake. I'm gonna say I want the tie. You know, <laughs> I'm totally fine with you get, you know, ten innings even for this year, short season. Call it a tie. Move on. Uh, but it is here. I'm okay with it being here for this year. Let's try it out. Like you were saying, there's some strategy here. The one thing that I'm a little concerned about, though, kind of like what he was saying with in the bottom of the inning, you might just walk people. It takes away the home field advantage if you get that far in, in my opinion, because you can easily set up a double play because one run might win it. So it might take away that home field advantage. But, you know, the strategy, it'll be fun to watch. As somebody that... When I play baseball, I play with three balls, two strikes, because that was the Catholic League, because I went in high school and elementary school was Catholic League. So new rules or new strange things. Um, That was, I still, I, I thought that was one of the dumbest rules of all time, but I got over it. But it's, I think it's just maybe the, the, what you're saying, John, about having to tie it extra innings. It's also maybe it's just a safety issue at that point, too. Just make it, things wrap it up. I mean, they're not even going to take a shower and, there's going to be also uh, the press only can stay for an hour after the game. So there's no hanging out of that. So that also play, that plays a good factor into it. And so, and also I think extra innings don't, they don't go as long as they used to like back in, like when the home runs became more prevalent, that's when you saw the extra inning games, like those 14, 15, even 16 game innings become less and less frequent. So so the other rule that's going to apply is the universal DH. It's going to be applied for the first time in the National League. Yay or nay? Yay or nay? And I'll start with you, Yuper, on this. I'm a big yay. been a big uh, pro-DH guy for um, as long as I can remember. I don't need to watch pitchers hit uh, 097. <laughs> uh, I'm not that... I'm not that excited about a sack bunt uh, or the, and the double switch. I don't find that to be, you know, mental level stuff. So uh, I've always kind of laughed when people say, well, I'm going to miss the strategy of the National League. 
I mean, I get it. I understand there is a few things going on, but uh, personally, I would just rather see the better pitcher batter matchup uh, that the DH should give over the pitcher being at, over the pitcher batting. So I'm I'm very happy about it. I don't I don't see any downside to it, and I hope it stays. All right, John. What about you? I'm a big yay too. I've been hoping for this for a while. Um, it was just silly that we had two leagues that met in the world series, but they played with two different rules oh, all no season question. long. Yeah. So that was, that was interesting. I don't like that. I'm so happy. We have the universal DH. The only concern I have is they did it so quick. The national league didn't have a lot of time to set up their roster for it. So there's going to be a lot of, I don't want to say weak hitting DHs, but you know, nobody in the national league went out and got a Nelson Cruz or anything like that, where they could, throw him in the DH, he's the designated DH, and then write it off. That's your lineup. So I wish they would have had a season to prepare for it, but I'm just so happy it's there that that outweighs all the uh, the cost. And, Marty, what about you? Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of it. Um, from a fantasy perspective, which is, you know, where I spend most of my time and, you know, all of my um, all of my research – Teams like the Brewers, the Reds, the Padres, the Mets, and the Cardinals. I mean, they're stacked. They have so many bats that they could put in at any time. It's going to make it so much more interesting for them rather than saying, you know, the DeGroms hit or, you know, wh- whoever else they got going there. So I'm a big fan of the uh, the DH um, in both leagues. Um, like everyone else said, I think it's going to make things a little bit more even when the games do count, you know, as far as the World Series goes. I think we're about, you know, it's about time. I mean, I know that as of right now on paper, it's only going to last a year, but I think the, the days of, oh man, w- what a great strategy or, you know, oh, they, they haven't used this arm in the bullpen in three, in three games, you know, what are they going to do? And all this, you know, all this strategy stuff for the NL, it's boring. It doesn't speak to me. Um, I'd rather see the David Ortiz's, you know, the Edgar Martinez's hit. So I, I'm all for it. Jake, what about you? Are you uh, are you the boomer on this, or are you going to stay with your 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 age group on this? No, I'll stay with the age group on this. I, I'm for the DH, and we're kind of in lockstep here. I know it's kind of boring, but I uh, I like the DH move. And you think about two way players; it's kind of a new um, phenomenon in the MLB, and perhaps both of the best two way players in Brendan McKay and Shohei Otani are uh, in the AL. So. It, it didn't really matter in, in that case, but it's not going to matter anyways. We're going to have hitters. So I dig it. Yeah. It gives Kyle Schwarber a full-time job. I mean, he's not, I mean, he's not kind of guy that doesn't know, like you look at him, he's like that, that guy is built to be a DH. So he's going to hit bombs. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be the Cubs. I think the Cubs are in good shape you mentioned the Cardinals. And I think also a team like Philadelphia has got some extra power too. They got the nationals they might need a bat, but like the, I think the Giants, I don't know if the Giants have a kind of, they're built for DH right now at the moment. So Yasiel Puig, baby, they're going to sign them. If they do, that'd be great. I mean, I also wanted him to come to Detroit, but for whatever reason, we're not spending money, but that's a different story we for all, another day. We all wanted him. <laughs> uh, speaking <laughs> of wants, do you see the Tigers making a trade at the deadline? I'll start with you, John. You know, I don't think there's going to be hardly any trades this year. It's going to be if somebody has a great spring training 2.0 and then really kicks it into high gear the first couple of weeks of the season. But I don't think a lot of teams are willing to give up any prospect depth 
to get a rental for a short season, even if they do win the World Series, everybody's going to be like, oh, it was the short season, asterisk on the World Series. So I think a lot of people are just going to be holding on. Um, on the flip side of that, we do have Scope and Crone, and that was kind of the point of getting the one-year rentals. So I think Nova's on a one-year deal too, right? So yeah, we correct. have a couple yep. guys that could go. I just don't see it happening. Marty, what about you? I'm I'm in the same boat. You know, I, I don't think there even should have been a trade deadline. I mean, this season can be canceled at any time. I mean, that that's where we're living right now. You know, let's say, you know, there's a couple big trades for uh, teams trying to make the, the playoff push and a whole bunch of people get sick and the season's canceled. I mean, it's just a huge waste. So I, I wish they wouldn't even have had it um, as far as the Tigers go. Um, yeah, I mean, they could have possibly moved a couple people. I know we're not going to be buyers, so that that's out of the question. Um, and I don't think anyone's going to be buying from us. So I wish we wouldn't have even had it. Uber. Well, I, I I think they should push hard to make one. Um, I probably agree with some of the points that the the, the deadline might not be very lively uh, for all those reasons, but doesn't mean they shouldn't be making every single phone call. I mean, if if CJ Crone, uh, you know hits eight or 10 home runs in the first six weeks or five weeks. Uh, and an NL team needs a DH shop them around see what you can get. Even if you can get one hard thrown reliever in double a uh, for, you know, 30 games of CJ Crone, that's not bad. <laughs> so um, I probably would steer clear of, you know, last year we spent so much time thinking about a Matthew Boyd. Uh, I don't think that any kind of big blockbuster move would be out there, but a small deal, sure, why not? You know, if, if they can get Scope or Crone or even uh, Joe Jimenez moved, I wouldn't bother me, depending what they get back, obviously. What about you, Jake? Yeah, I guess I'm for anything as long as the return is right, but I agree with the with the guys on this one. I just don't think there are going to be that many trades to be done. Um, you think about the uncertainty that comes with even next season. You know, if we have a second or third wave of this thing, I, I just see it, you know, I, I don't see teams being willing to take big risks, especially in expanded playoffs. You know, now you have over half the teams making it. So your chances of winning the World Series and making these additions to, to make this big run, you know, you're you're not getting as much bang for your buck as you probably would have in a normal season. I will say this. I will say that I there's such an asterisk on the season anyway. So whomever wins the world series whoever win whatever win whatever batting titles or awards are given out it's going to have a strong asterisk and i think that's going to change the flavor of the the savor of the victory if you will and what i mean by that is like let's say the seattle mariners win the world series you're a mariners fan you're excited you're like hey you know my team finally won but everybody else is going to go you know how every red Sox and yankee and knowing you know knowing ass Yankee Red Sox fans are going to be like, well, you know, it's not the, the full season. Da, 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 da. Baseball purists are going to come out there and say it. You know that's going to happen. So if I'm, a, if I'm a team like Seattle who hasn't won a World Series or, you know, Lord forbid, the, if the San Diego Padres are 40 and 10 and they're going to be cruising into the playoffs and they just need one more pitcher because they need pitchers and they go after Matt Boyd or whatever the case may be, Hell, I pull it off, short season or not, because then I have, then I can just simply go with my finger and go, look, I'm still a winner. 
That's it. It doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. the, the fifth. Or Raj, think about this. Yeah. You know, they've had these high-end pitching prospects. You know, if one of them reaches the bigs and performs well, do you sell high? Do you try and give some balance to the system to get a, a high-end hitter into the system that's close to the major leagues? Yeah, it's true. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough call because also you have to think about it too. It's really eerily quiet from the Chris Illich's side of things too. I think that the the team they haven't spent any money on on undrafted free agents. The Tigers are one of the few teams that hasn't done anything. You have Zimmerman coming off your books here in a couple months, which I mean, I'm sure Chris Illich is like, oh, yes. I have not I think had we're to all pay. like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just jeez. That's highway robbery. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm no, trust me. I'm I'm pumped too. I don't have to deal with the six ERA in front of me every single night. But no, it's just you have to consider to the savings aspect of this all. If they can find a way to save, if there's a way that they're going to be able to save money, I think they're going to explore it. And that's why, like I said, that it really gave me grief about that Miguel Cabrera trade idea. Look, if they could save him one season of the money, that, the way if you look at the history of what they've been doing the last few years, they've been trying to find ways to save money. So if the trade deadline, I don't know if the Tigers are going to make a move, honestly, but I do see a couple teams getting aggressive to, especially for a team that has not won the World Series. It's it's just you know. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to agree with you. The teams who have a shot should go all out for it because when you think about it, I'm going to show my age a little bit here for you guys. You go back to the 81 world series, Dodgers over Yankees, really good world series. Hey, uh, nobody cares that that was a straight shortened season, you know, that we had two halves and it was uh, kind of a weird thing. And the team with the best record, actually best combined record missed the playoffs, the reds uh, altogether because they didn't finish first in the second half or the first half. It, It was all crazy, but you know what? Those rings, they wear the same. So yeah, I I agree with you. They got if some some team lowly team has a shot unexpectedly, they probably should take a run at it. Yeah, and I want to just quickly just hop in on that. I mean, and Roger, I was listening to the Plato podcast where you know you, you went off on you know how it's going to be a um, you know everyone's going to say you know asterisk season and all this. I I would not care. Like if the Tigers have a chance to win it and let's say we do win it, which I've never seen before as a 31 year old man, I could care less how long the season was. It's all going to look the same. I mean, did anyone else know about the 1981 world series, anything different about it other than you, Roger? (laughs) So exactly. (laughs) I had no clue when we look back here 50 years from now, you know, they're going to, we're going to have a banner up, you know, or that team that's going to win, it's going to have a banner up and it's not going to matter. So. I was going to say the one thing that if you're an Expos fan, you remember the 1981 really a lot because, oh, oh, yeah. yeah, because of one man, Rick Monday, who Rick this, yeah, Rick Monday went out there and totally, dist- and that was, and to, you know, honestly, that's probably a pivotal, mo- a pivotal moment in Expos uh, history because they never, the Expos would never come that close again. They would never get nope. that close again. So, as a historian of baseball, but also as an Expos fan, you you feel for the citizens of Montreal on that because the Dodgers also mean it was that was the year that was Fernando Venezuela yeah that was for that was uh, Venezuela mania so it's just yeah you're right no one's gonna remember I mean you guys were probably like oh yeah the eighty one Dodgers da da the first half second half championship badness craziness 
it's secondary. And so the last question for you guys before we roll out of here. Oh, what's up? Baseball that year. What was that? I'm sorry. The Reds had the best combined record in baseball that year, and they missed the playoffs altogether. You know, yeah. so that's how weird that year. And what's weird about that season two, about uh, that too, about the 81 uh, Reds too, Uper, is that they really, that was a team that was still, that wasn't even the big red machine. I mean, this is the first time without Sparky Anderson, they actually did something. And that was under yes. John. Yeah. It was under John McNamara. And that, that Reds team is kind of like, just was a hodgepodge of veterans and they had a young talent. They had, the likes of uh, Roy Oyster, they yeah. had um, Tom Seaver at the end of his career. That yeah, kind of thing. Dave kind of shown, of course. Yeah, Ken Griffey was still in his prime. George Foster was just a beast still. Um, that, that that Reds team, but that rotation was probably one of the better rotations because the Reds weren't really good at pitching, led by another uh, a guy by the name of Mario Soto, which you guys are probably going to look at me like, what the hell is he talking about? Yeah. Um, no, man, I'm taking notes right now. This is a history lesson. I, I hope everyone's paying attention to this. Yeah. If you remember the days of Uber, uh, uh, if I throw, I'm throw Brett, um, you know who was a, you know who was a pitcher on that team, by the way, that I didn't even realize? Uh, former Tiger Doug Bear. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He was a red for a long time. So came up in that system. He was out of their farm system. Yeah. He was, uh, that's why Sparky was pretty good on or. To try to get he, he loved a lot of ex-reds and also another guy on that team too that would end up seeing later charlie Le, uh charlie lebrandt who was part of that uh royals team um i believe it was yeah he was part of the 85 royals that the uh, world series royals team so all right no more tangents about the 80s baseball uh <laughs> how long and this is the last question how long do you see labor peace lasting jacob i'll start with you till the next cba <laughs> So next year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Next year. I mean, as long as cases go down, I think 2021 will be okay. After that, I think it's going to be just more of what we saw. I think we just got a taste of what's to come in the next CBA. What about you, John? Uh, I think there's going to be a strike next year. I could definitely see it with how much vitriol there was between the owners and the player association and they it was like going through a bad divorce they were bad talking each other through lawyers on social media saying how disappointed they are in each other over and over again i mean there's nothing but bad blood right now and going into the next season if there's even a hint that covid's still around or anything else could happen and i could see the players association just backing right off and going on strike all right. What are you, Marty? Well, as of right now, I'll just try to live, you know, in, in what's on paper. So the CBA is set to expire after the 2021 season. So the moment after that expires, that's when I feel like there's going to be problems. I, I would like to think knowing that how bad, you know, all, all of this went as we just went into, you know, um, if they could just start working on it now and be a little proactive, <laughs> that would be great. But um, after what I've seen, I'm not optimistic. So I think the second it ends, uh, that's when we're going to we're gonna have some problems. What about you, Uper? Well, uh, I'm trying to remember. I'd have to look it up now. I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I don't recall. It was either the 94 strike or the 81 where um, uh, the CBA was set to – expire after that season but the the strike or lockout happened early 
because they set a date where they, they wanted something done and they didn't want to go into the off season with, uh, uh, with a looming work stoppage. So that's why I'm a little worried, worried about next season. Even, um, if that scenario pops up again, uh, it's just hard to believe. And I know it shouldn't be hard to believe because we've seen it before uh, in past decades that uh, a sport that's bringing in over $10 billion a year in revenue can't find an equitable way to make everybody happy. Uh, and I realize each side has their own um, priorities and they want to get what they want, uh, but it shouldn't be that difficult. I am hoping that uh, they can come together on maybe uh, some changes to arbitration and a little quicker shot at free agency by maybe a year. And if they can work out those two type of things, maybe they can avoid the Armageddon that a, uh, a strike or lockout would be. And if they start, you know, miss the end of next year and then go into 22 with a big problem hanging over them, we'll have to see. It was the, by the way, it was the 94 strike because the season was coming to an end by August, or excuse me, the end of 94. 81 was more about the free agency side of things. So that's where the 81 strike would come. Um, that was that was the direction of the 81 strike. But I I see labor stoppage again. I, I see that because I feel with Tony Clark, you know, I, I, I will say this, though. The one thing I have noticed about this whole entire situation is that there's like, there's two camps here. There's a camp of players that just want to play, and there's a camp of players who will, who rep, who represent the majority or minority of like they, they're getting paid, they're fine, or, or like they're, they can sit out and afford it. And you saw the owners try to take that tactics of dividing those two camps, anyways. So I mean, they're doing a better job than Bob Nightingale's reporting. So they, to me, it's just a kind of, <laughs> um. Sorry, Nine Gills been getting lit up on Twitter. I'm glad too. Thank. You know, <laughs> they call yeah, him. I was about to say rightfully it. so. Yeah, Man, that guy is a tool. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> the name of this episode: Bob Nightingale's a tool. Um, no, <laughs> but it's just you look at like, <laughs> you look at the situation, and it's just it's kind of like in a in a situation where you're going to have downtime in the off season. Players are going to have more time to think about this, and I think that kind of next year they're going to. The, the owners are going to try to form, like, still continue to try to form some sort of salary cap. The luxury tax is an official one right now, correct? So it, I think they're going to still say, hey, look, we don't have the money. And the Braves, I think, is the only team that's shown, like, exactly how much they're making. So there's going to be a, a chance. The, the, the players just want more transparency, and the owners are not going to give it. And that's where I think that that's where the conflict's going to get worse because Rob Manfield has negotiated like you negotiate I don't know like it's just like I want I want this lemonade it's, this lemonade says it's for a nickel yeah but I want it for five bucks okay well it's only a nickel well I'm still gonna pay five bucks that doesn't make any sense it's just a lot of the things he's doing and that's maybe that's a terrible analogy but I my, my point is there's just no logic behind what they're what they're saying going back and forth so well, Roger, I want to just hop in and want to hijack uh, what you're doing. But let me ask you this. Um, do you feel like after what we've seen over the the debacle of the negotiations and everything that's transpiring in this country, do you feel like there's going to be a long lasting impact on the teams and less baseball fans because of it where they could possibly justify a salary cap? I think they the 
I think you're already losing fans. I mean, I think that if, you know, I went out to, I went out to my, I'm a, you know, I'm a young dad. I, I, my son's 20 and I asked him about baseball. We had a conversation and on purpose, I asked him about it. I was like, you know, the, you know, the baseball is coming starting soon. Whew. Did not care. You're, yeah. You're losing your, what you're doing right now. And you guys are younger than me. And definitely, I mean, you burn, I think you and I can attest to this. It used to be that baseball, I mean, you've seen like the, the swell of people like waiting around the ballpark and, and I still think that's there, but it's less and less. And what the owners are doing right now is that games are becoming more and more. You, you can't even add like the blackout rules. They're still putting the same blackout rules in a shortened season. What the hell are you thinking? Like you're, you can't even go to the games. Yeah, you can't go to the <laughs> game. You can't go to the game. So let's, let's just continue to do these stupid blackout rules. What? I'm trying that not to swear. Such an easy, easy win for them, public relations wise, for one season to knock out the blackout rules. And it wouldn't have cost them hardly anything uh, tangible. And it would have made a bunch of people happy, you know, people who pay for their product. Uh, and they just totally missed that. Yeah. Uh, it would have cost them nothing. Case in point, where, yeah, yeah where Uper lives in, in, De, in, well, in Des Moines, rather. I'm not sure where you're at in Iowa completely, but. I, I tweeted out this yesterday because I saw on Reddit. Des Moines, Iowa, you can't see the Royals, the Cubs, the the Royals, the Cubs, the White Sox, the Brewers, or the Twins, or the Cardinals. I mean, seriously? You can't watch any team within – it makes absolutely zero sense. And so if the NBA has been – you can watch the NBA – like the NFL, you can watch games on Twitter. You can watch games anywhere. But here's – this is why, Marty, they're going to lose – and this is why they're going to lose fans – they're making it harder and harder for you. Like they're just making it harder for anybody to like them because they keep continuing to shoot themselves in the foot. How do you not have focus groups? Like, how do you not have somebody like, do you have like uh what's the pulse of that? You know, like you want to sound like the Steve Buscemi meme of, you know, with the skateboarder, like, Hey, young kids, like what are you guys doing? Like you, <laughs> you want to know what they're thinking and you right. don't know, like, you know, even like the NBA was having like Horace or doing stuff during the off season during this whole, you know, dull period. And yes, I understand. But the, what was the MLB doing? Let's just show highlights of the Giants and the A's in the 89 World Series. You and I were cool, were cool with it. But honestly, guys, do you do you guys really care about the 89 World Series? No. Yeah. No, I would have <laughs> rather watch BP. <laughs> See? Like current players. I'm dead serious. Yeah. Like, I would rather watch Aaron Judge take B, BP. Yeah, I found myself tuning into Trevor Bauer's feed on YouTube where he's playing um, wiffle ball with a bunch of guys yeah, in Arizona. Yeah. That was yeah. fun to watch. You were that silly, you know, and well, then we had the NBA and hooking up with ESPN doing, you know, 2K um, tournaments and everything they possibly can just to stay, you know, in front of people in front of the fans eyes. And then, yeah, then there's full states being blacked out in, in baseball where they can't even watch it. It's unreal. Well, it's crazy to me because the person who's doing the most for the brand of MLB doesn't have a job with MLB at all. I would say that's pitching ninja on Twitter. You know, I've seen more bullpen sessions from him. He hypes everybody up. It's fantastic. And then you go to MLB's page and it's like one tweet a day. Yeah. Where are you guys at? Like, this is your chance have, I mean, everybody's still throwing bullpens, get some live bullpen sessions. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, we were actually tweeting out our account more than some MLB was per day, and it's it's sad. And even like, uh, you know what I would love to see is an explanation of grip. 
like when you talk about the difference between a Vulcan changeup and a regular changeup grip and just kind of talk about the a fastball grip with a four seam and how you implement that with your fingers. I mean, I'm sure sausage fat fingers here on the camera, but um, the idea of like how to like you snap in a curveball and just the difference between I would love to see a because I mean, I nerd out on looking stuff on YouTube, like a, with the difference between a three quarters delivery or, an, or high angle delivery or even like how Drew Smiley, how Tampa was able to figure out that by pitching Drew Smiley on a third side, of the third third base side of the rubber, that he was able to develop like just get dead or just become a better pitcher. Same thing with Fernando Rodney, like that kind of stuff to me fascinates me, and you get nothing. You get, you know, the, the biggest person that spoke a lot for a while from for any type of period of time that was interesting to me was Scott Boris on draft night. I mean, Scott Boris took over. From Carl Ravitz and gave an explanation of how he he gave an insight of like this is how we do things and this is how they should go about it and he had the mic and you see Carl Ravitz go you know like but I could have heard I could have heard him talk all night and that's that's the kind of stuff that would definitely be needed content wise I mean like do I really want to do an article on Doug Brokale not really but I mean like at the same time did you guys know that Doug Brokale actually sued the team. Because the Tigers were for due negligence. Did not go. know that. Yeah. Why? Well, because when he got traded, he was the, the, the I guess he sued the team doctors because the team doctors discovered like he had it. He had his elbow was giving him issues and they're like, don't worry about it. Just cortisone or whatever the treatment they were giving him for him. And he seen somebody else and they're like, no, dude, your, your elbow's screwed. Your, your elbow's pretty bad. So he sued and he lost in court. And this is like, it was the thing that went after his playing career. I'll send you guys the link. It's pretty fascinating that he was sued. He sued the Tigers for this. So that's that, wild. yeah, that's the kind of stuff to me that's like, make your story more interesting. And then MLB has failed that. So, um, anything else before, before we wrap it up, one last, one last thought before I'm going to ask you guys a pretty much yes or no question here. Rapid fire. Do you see Spencer Torkelson playing this year at all in Detroit, John? Yes. Okay. For sure. Jake. Yep. Okay. Marty. No. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. I like that. Go rebellious there. Uber. I'm a no. You know, you no. Okay. Let me pop in real quick. And on this, um, what position do you see him playing then if he's going to play? Uh, I see him playing. I see him trying. Um, I see him trying to set play third. They're going to try him out at third because what about you guys? I think if they put him at third, they got to get a shortstop. Don't get me wrong. I love Nico, but slide him over to second and bring up Cole Peterson, who is a defensive wizard. And that makes up for Torkelson's range issue right there. Now you have a great infield. You have a nine hole hitter who is a slap hitter who won't get on base hardly at all, but he's going to save baby. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually, that's a pretty creative idea, John. I like that idea. I just, I, I I'm going to see what Willie Castro could do first before I want to see what Castro has first. Um, cause he's only been in a small sample size, at least in my opinion. I, I think, I think the drafting of, you know, Andre Lipkis too. Like you don't see what's going to happen this year with him. And I don't know, that's a different conversation for another day. We, we, when we get closer to the season beginning, I do want to go, we're going to do a rundown of the minor leagues and see like top prospects and just 
have a prospect discussion. I know you guys definitely have some really good takes on the future of the Tigers. But for more stories about the Tigers, for more information, all the things here, you want to go check us out at MotorStateBangles.com. Marty's doing a doing the fancy stuff for you, so we got some fancy stuff coming out for you. I know, I think Sebastian is working on an article on Gates Brown, but I don't think he wants anybody to tell. Oops. Um, no, I, maybe he's working on something. He's working on something. I know that for a fact. And coming up in the next couple of days, there'll be an article. We're doing a White Sox MLB draft. I have some really, the White Sox thought I, had, I thought had a really good draft. Do an overview on that. And the best Tiger International signing. So, and the Doug Brokale stuff, something along the way. But uh, baseball's back. Hopefully you're enjoying it safely and soundly. And for myself and the entire MCB staff, we'll talk to you soon. All right. That was-